From Coruscant to Tatooine, and every planet in between, Star Wars, prototypes and production, with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, Hello, and welcome to what I hope is the beginning of something special. My name is David Quinn. Today begins a podcast I've been working on for a long time called Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I love Star Wars. I love the story, the characters, the design, the orange and blues of Empire, the humor, the gold bikini, the rise and the fall, and the rise and the fall, and the rise of the Jedi. But what I think I love most about Star Wars is the action figures. And I think a lot of us share that love of the figures as complementary to the films themselves. The only reason we care about Yak Face, Snaggletooth, or even Nikto is because of the figures. And these figures gave us a chance to act out the stories in our heads, to look at life with ideas of friendship, destiny, and endless possibilities, and to act on them. We all hope to be one of them. Flawed, but full of potential. Like the boy who stumbled into one of the greatest missions in history. Or the loner who became needed, helped save a galaxy, and found a family. Or the princess who stepped up when nobody else would lead. Nothing to something. That was the scope of Star Wars. That you could step out your front door and become part of something bigger than you and I could ever imagine. And yet, we imagined. We created. We created the further adventures long after the movies had ended and the factories produced their final figures. We had our parents and relatives make us costumes and weapons. Some of us even made our own figures. We made fan films before every person had a camera in their pockets. Star Wars made us ask questions about the world around us, and we tried to answer them through art, storytelling, science, design, music, and literature. We made web pages as the internet became mainstream and used the knowledge we uncovered along with the shared input of others to figure out variant cardbacks, baggies, and mailers. And no matter where we ventured, we always seemed to find our way back to the films and figures we loved. And I'm blessed to be a part of that group that can say that. And if you're like me, and I'm guessing you are if you're listening to this podcast, you are a part of that group too. So what's the purpose of prototypes and production? I've wanted to do a podcast for years. I listened to Sky Payne and Stephen B. Danley's podcast, known as the Kivecast or the Vintage Pod, for years, and just found their musings on the hobby so fascinating. I'll go into more detail over the next few episodes, but Star Wars figures were my favorite toys as a child. A few years after I stopped playing with them, I started to collect them. And then, like most, I started to pursue the modern figures in the mid-1990s. This lasted for me until about 2002, when, disappointed by the prequels, I gave up Star Wars for a while. I found my way back in 2011 using eBay to reconnect to the things I loved when I was younger. Vintage Star Wars figures once again became my obsession, and now that I was making a salary and had some extra spending money, I started to hunt for loose Power of the Force figures and carded figures from the entire line. And during most of that time, I was collecting on an island. A figurative one, of course, but I wasn't part of the community. I just liked reading about the Kenner line and studying and learning about the different card backs and variants. 
And in the normal path we take in acquiring more and more knowledge, I stumbled upon Sky and Steve's podcast. If you're not familiar with it, they devote each episode to a particular figure in the order each was released, beginning with the first 12 Star Wars figures. Besides delving into the history of the figures, they also talked about other collectors, recorded from live events like Celebration, and visited friends at their homes to view their collections. It was something I longed for. I wanted to be a part of a community that shared the same love for, and some would say obsession with, these toys and the movies from which they were birthed. And in the last two years, I've become part of that collecting community. And it's a great one. I've met some of the nicest people, genuine, caring, creative, intelligent, funny people who have accepted me into their groups, into their homes, and into their lives. And I've learned the biggest Star Wars collecting secret that I'll dare to share with you, even if you're not quite there yet. It's not about the toys. It's about the people. So back to the purpose. I wanted to create something that was connected to both Star Wars and to the community, and hopefully give something back to the hobby in the process. And even though I had sworn off collecting modern Star Wars after the disappointment and frustration of 2002's Attack of the Clones, I've developed a new and renewed appreciation for what Hasbro has done with the modern toy lines, especially the 2008-2012 Clone Wars line. I've also developed a new obsession, modern Star Wars prototypes. And so my goal behind the Star Wars Prototypes and Production podcast is to bridge the gap between vintage and modern collecting. I would love for vintage collectors to develop an appreciation for the modern lines, beginning with 1995's Power of the Force 2 collection. And I would love for younger or modern-focused collectors to develop a love for the Kenner line that started it all. And that's why I call this podcast Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I hope to explore the first part of the title in a monthly series looking at the pre-production process of a Star Wars figure, regardless of the era. I've cultivated friendships with all different kinds of Star Wars prototype collectors, and I hope they'll help me explore each step in the creation of these figures. And I can't wait to learn more about the entire process together. The second part of the title, the production aspect, has two meanings. First, it encompasses the figures, vehicles, and playsets that we first saw on our toy shelves. Basically, the Star Wars toys we know and love. The ones that made it past the production stage and were actually produced. But I also wanted to take the podcast further and focus on the films and the animated series that followed. So I wanted the word production to also represent the films and series that caused us to love these characters we collect. And I hope to highlight all different aspects of the stories and characters we love, so together we can foster interesting discussions and learn from them. Before we get to the actual podcast episodes, I wanted to do a few smaller ones. I've never done a podcast before and wanted to get into a rhythm before starting up the series. And I know that most of you don't know me, so I decided to release the Early Bird Podcast, a set of four episodes, each one tied to a figure that came in the Early Bird Star Wars set that was the first toy-related item released by Kenner. Basically, the Early Bird set started as an envelope that parents could purchase for their children around Christmas of 1977. Kenner did not have the actual figures ready in time for the holiday season, so the idea was to offer Star Wars fans a voucher for four mail-away figures. Luke, Leia, Chewbacca, and R2-D2, which would arrive in mailboxes all over the country a few months later. So the idea behind these early bird episodes is to tie each episode to what one of the early bird figures means to me. 
and use each of the four to focus on a different part of my life as it relates to Star Wars along the way. How I grew up with Star Wars, how I first became a Star Wars collector, how I revisited collecting as an adult, and finally, how I found a family through the vintage, modern, and prototype communities. So instead of starting in the middle of the story like George Lucas did with A New Hope, let's go back to the beginning. And this first episode is called Life with Luke. I'm happy to say I've known Luke Skywalker my entire life. My earliest memory, the first vivid moment that I can actually remember, was March 1982. I had just turned three. It was my cousin Rory's third birthday. And the day before the party, my mom took me to a toy store to buy Rory a gift. She picked out two figures for him and a Darth Vader carrying case. And she also bought two figures for me as well. For me, there was no spotlight from heaven while the angels sing moment as I was introduced to Kenner's Star Wars line in that toy store that day. I love toys, and to me, these figures were just simply more toys that I could have and play with. I remember the aisle vividly, and I remember the car ride home. And one of my favorite memories is coming home and sitting on the cold, gray stone tile of our hallway, to the left of our front door, on a rust-orange mat we'd use to wipe our feet on when we entered the house. And I remember holding, for the first time, the nightmare black helmeted villain in one hand, and the boy who kind of looked like me in the other. The boy was Luke Skywalker. He had brown hair and mustard-colored pants, and he wore a white tunic. The coolest part was the yellow thing that came out of his right arm. It was a lightsaber. I just played with them for most of the night. I don't remember much after that, the party the next day, or even where I was when I finally saw the movie for the first time. But I bet I had that Luke in my hand. Star Wars taught me how to read. My mom told me that I used to lie on my stomach in our living room for hours, staring at the backs of the Star Wars figure cards. You know, the ones that would say, collect all 41 figures, or collect all 77 figures, and they would list the name of each figure along with a corresponding photo. And so I'd stare at these cards and sound out each name, syllable by syllable. I wanted to know who these figures and characters were. And that's honestly how I learned to read books. So in a way, Luke Skywalker had a hand in creating this podcast, too. I was Luke for Halloween, and year after year, The first year, when I was three or four, my mom made me an X-Wing pilot suit. She used one of my sister's diapers as a helmet and put gold bells on it. Not something I'd wear now, but I loved pretending I was a Skywalker. I didn't know who his father was yet, but I surely knew who my father was supposed to be that Halloween. He was dressed as Darth Vader, and my mother dressed as Princess Leia, complete with the hair buns. My sister was terrified of my father that night. He and my mother were going to a costume party and he couldn't put the mask on until he left the house, or else my sister would start crying again. I was a Jedi kid, product of the 80s, and Luke Jedi was my hero. My grandmother made me the Jedi costume, complete with the cape, an official Return of the Jedi belt, a black velour jumpsuit with a Velcro flap in the front, and black boots. I had a lightsaber that was essentially a flashlight with a long white tube, but I loved it. 
I love to stand in the dark, surrounded by the glow of the saber, and prepare to battle Darth Vader and his army of stormtroopers. While so many of my friends wished to be Han Solo, I was Luke Skywalker. I love the figures. There are some I associate with loved ones. When Yoda first came out, he was impossible to get. I don't know if this was just near me in Matawan, New Jersey, or if it was a nationwide thing. But my dad would stop off at one of two toy stores, either Child World or Toys R Us after work, and the employees got to know him after a while. And sometimes when they'd see him, they'd go in the back, they'd bring a case out, and they'd open it, walk away, and let him take what he wanted. We didn't have a lot of money back then, but my father would grab a few figures when he could, and then would bring them home and would give them to me one at a time. I'm guessing over the course of a few weeks, or he would save them for a special occasion or holiday. I still have my original Yoda. Yoda's one of my favorite figures, and to me, represents the love my dad had for me when I was a child, and how he would hunt for the Star Wars figures that meant so much to me. I will forever associate Yoda, and most of my Star Wars toys, with my dad. I don't remember how or where I got all of my figures, but I remember most. I remember going out to a hardware store called Nichols one night with my dad and seeing a cloud car pilot for the first time. Another special one. Even back then, I knew he was an ancillary character, and maybe it was just that he was the only one in the store for sale, but I wanted him. And the excitement of seeing a figure in person for the first time, especially after studying the backs of the figure's cards for so long? The cloud car pilot certainly was a weird one, though. And there was something about the dullness of the card and its bland shades of brown and the figure's ice cream colors, but it did something to my brain. You know what I mean? I think we've all had that effect from Star Wars. But back to Luke. My mom and I were out shopping one day. I was probably four or so at the time, and we stopped at Child World. And I remember she bought me my Luke Jedi. It was probably the first time I had seen Jedi figures in the store. But the Luke stood out because... Well, it was Luke. The card back was visually stunning and had my hero in an aggressively confident pose, blaster aimed at whatever was in front of him, standing amongst monsters and creatures that would blend in just as well in the cantina on Tatooine. And this Luke came with stuff, and a lot of it. He had a blaster, a cape, and finally a lightsaber that wasn't yellow. Luke Jedi was and is my favorite figure. He is what I think of when I think about Luke and he will always be connected to my mom. Do you remember first seeing Luke Skywalker become a Jedi Knight? When we last saw him in Empire, he was still a kid. He was headstrong and impulsive, and his first sparring lesson in the midst of his early training to become a Jedi was a one-on-one with the Sith Lord Darth Vader on, on Bespin. But by the time Return of the Jedi opens, Luke has had months to train and to plan and to grow stronger in the Force. And since he is a Skywalker, the Force is strong in him, and it shows. Being about five years old when the film came out, I remember his costume and his presence were so striking, and they made such an impact on me. He went from being a nobody to blowing up the Death Star and rescuing the princess, to someone on his way to greatness, to somebody who had failed and was broken. And now he was finally ready to be a Jedi. He went from staring at those special twin sons in Star Wars to finding out he was a special twin son in Return of the Jedi, and he courageously stepped out to meet the challenge, destined for great things. 
I wanted to be like Luke. I remember playing with my Star Wars toys on the floor of my den, creating a massive story that I'd only get to partially finish before being called for dinner, or sitting in my backyard after it rained. A neighbor's X-Wing that was given to me buried halfway in the mud. I would wait for it to rain so that I could play Dagobah outside. Luke in the cockpit, Yoda waiting to fulfill a prophecy, and R2 watching and beeping to himself. Jabba was my favorite playset, probably because of Luke Jedi. I loved the box as much as I loved the figure inside of it. I remember being little and just being amazed at what it had to offer. Twist Jabba's head and the tail moves. Turn the gargoyles on the far left and right, and the trap door to the rancor opens. Pull the stringed cuff around a figure's neck, and he or she became Jabba's prisoner. And it came with Jabba's sidekick, Salacious Crumb. Do you remember the way the figures smelled? I've heard many talk about the TIE fighter pilot having a certain scent. Something like strawberry, maybe? It was a very clean smell. I know you know what it is, though. We all do. I have a Return of the Jedi vinyl case that I bought a few years ago. It came from a pretty big find, and it was loaded with figures. But not just any figures. These were some of the newest-looking, fresh-off-the-card figures. And the best part? They still had that new figure smell to them. I've pretty much kept that case exactly the way it was when I first received it. And whenever I open it, that smell that is impossible to replicate brings me right back to childhood. Growing up with Star Wars and the Kenner toys was something really special, and something I will always look back on fondly. But since this podcast is called Life with Luke, it certainly wouldn't be a complete story without the man himself. I'll talk more about becoming a collector in the next episode, but for now, let's jump ahead in time from the 1980s to 2017, in which I went to my first Star Wars convention, Star Wars Celebration. I went to Celebration in Orlando in April of 2017. If you've never been to Celebration, you have to go. Take your family, your best friend, your loved one, or or just even go by yourself. There is so much to do and see, and the best part is, it's all Star Wars. One of the amazing things you can do at Celebration is meet your heroes. Sure, you can meet celebrities and actors at pretty much any convention, but Celebration's talent pool consists exclusively of Star Wars creatives and actors. Need a photo that strangely resembles a classroom prom with Jin Erso or Kanan Jarrus? Celebration has you covered. Want to be snapped in the middle of a Sith sandwich of Ian McDermott and Hayden Christensen, also known as the Emperor and Anakin Skywalker? No problem. Do you desperately need a picture of yourself with Anthony Daniels in a gold LeMay jacket, or one with the new Chewbacca, Junus, towering over you? Celebration photo ops are the way to go. Now, I'm teasing, but honestly, for any fan, it is really a special moment. And to be able to be with, well, to pay to be photographed standing next to someone from the Star Wars universe who has made an impact on your life is really a blessing, no matter how silly the photos look. And there's a certain charm to the silliness. Anyway, my friend Al and I had planned to take our first trip to Celebration that year, and one of the guests signing autographs and taking pictures was Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. The day autographs and photo opportunities went on sale as a pre-order, I signed up to finally, 
finally, after all of these years, meet Mark Hamill. I've never paid for an autograph before, nor have I done a meet and greet or a photo op with someone famous. It just wasn't something I was interested in, and personally, I never saw a reason to do so. I've stood next to Harrison Ford. It happened one day at work. He was coming into my company's studio, and we wound up standing next to each other. Talk about a rock star. He has a presence very few people possess, and he pulls off wearing an earring quite well. But to meet Luke Skywalker in person? (laughs) Uh, That was my dream. I hesitated because of the price. $200 for what may amount to a photo in a few seconds? The rational side of me objected. Confused, I ran it by one of my real-life Obi-Wans, my mom, Obi-Mom Kenobi. I told her I had the opportunity to take a picture with Mark Hamill, and then I mentioned that it was expensive for what it was, and that it might only be a few seconds, and I didn't even know if I'd get to speak to him, and she cut me off. She just stopped me where I was and centered me again. You have to, she said. It's Luke. That was all I needed to hear. She understood, and now so did I. So the day before I'm supposed to meet Luke Skywalker, that Saturday of celebration, Mark Hamill did a one-man panel in which he paid tribute to his on-screen sister, Carrie Fisher, also known as Princess Leia. My friends and I made sure we had seats for this panel, and it was honestly one of the best things I've ever witnessed. It was the first time I was in the same room with Luke, which was so exciting it took me a few minutes before the show started to get myself to focus. And when he came on stage, I immediately felt a mix of emotions I have rarely experienced. At once, I was completely overcome with emotion. And yet the five-year-old inside of me was so super excited, I could feel myself smiling wider and wider. It must have looked really strange. But thank God most others in the room were feeling the same thing. It's that feeling where your mind splits, and half of it is so excited by what it sees it can barely function normally while the other half stands outside of your body and is trying to take it all in, like deep, momentary breaths. During the tribute, Mark spoke about his relationship with Carrie, and the entire audience hung on his every word. He's an amazing and adept storyteller, and it was very easy to disappear for a while into his words and his stories. And at one point, he shared with us what he wrote about her. I guess you'd call it a morning statement. And he became choked up. The room was so silent, and the room was vibrating, almost the way eyes do when they well up with tears. I felt myself rising out of my seat. Just out of instinct, I wanted to stand and yell, We we love you, Mark, because really, you you just felt for the guy, being this exposed and, and being all alone on the stage in front of us. I caught myself, though. The The moment was too pure, and I didn't want to do anything that would take away from it. He composed himself, and while doing so... He kept going in a way that reminded me of the same composure I saw in Luke in Return of the Jedi. Now that might sound silly, I'll acknowledge that, but to see someone push on in the midst of something so difficult and lead the entire audience along through it. To be able to look through loss, to look past it, and focus on the happy and wonderful times. It was something beautiful. The tribute became a declaration of strength and of love. It became a celebration, really, of living. And when the panel ended and he bowed, waved, and walked off, I felt like I had been with family. Family all around me in the audience, and in the center of it all, a family member I have known for decades standing on that stage. I turned to Al and I said, even if something happens and I don't get to meet him tomorrow, I'm okay with it. 
because I don't know if anything will ever top what we just saw. And I meant it. Star Wars has the amazing ability to go beyond ships and space and characters and toys and hit at the things that are most important. And always, it affects me in a profound way when it does. And I was really fine if I didn't meet Luke the next day. But now I was even more excited. Since the moment I had signed up to meet him, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to say to him. I knew I wouldn't have much time, but I still didn't know what I was going to say yet. And that night, we had a meetup at a nearby hotel for one of the Star Wars Facebook groups, the Imperial Commissary. I was talking to a new friend I had just met, which, by the way, is a very easy thing to do at Celebration. And I told him I was going to meet my hero in a couple of hours. My new friend was a Chewbacca fan, a huge Chewbacca fan, and he shared a story with me. When he met Peter Mayhew, who plays Chewbacca, he came dressed as Chewbacca, complete with the mask and the black eye paint around the eyes. And he was incredibly excited, and he was fine, until he was standing face to face with his hero. At which point, the years of hoping to meet the Wookiee he felt so attached to came. And there he was, and there was Chewie. And my friend just burst into tears like a child. He showed me the photo that was taken at that moment. Mr. Mayhew gingerly smiling, and my friend, mask off, standing next to him, and just bawling. He's not even attempting to smile or hide his emotions. He's just crying, like that ugly cry we all do, to the point where the tears had affected the black eye paint and was running down his face like he was in an Alice Cooper tribute band. It was such a sweet photo, and an honest memory of an incredibly impactful event. But now, I was terrified. So look, I get choked up pretty easily. I I love life, I really do. And when things come together in a beautiful or an artful way, I become overwhelmed. Sensitive, I guess. So, would what happened to my friend, would that happen to me? What would happen when I finally stood face to face with Mark Hamill? Yes, he's Luke Skywalker. But realistically, he's not really a Jedi. He's just a nice, sweet, funny guy who stumbled into a film role 40 years ago that affected millions of people. But he is Luke, and will always be Luke to me. I started to panic. I decided not to think about it until that moment. And then, if need be, as I was standing in front of Mr. Mark Hamill and felt a rush of tears coming, I would dig my hand deeply into my pocket and I would pinch the skin on my leg to hopefully make it stop. At this point, I figured I would make a fool of myself some way or another. If you've ever been to Celebration, you know that one of the things you miss out on during the weekend is sleep. There is so much to do, especially after the day at the convention ends. And when you miss out on sleep, functioning like a normal human being becomes rather difficult. So for the morning I was supposed to meet Luke, I was walking around in a weird daze of being incredibly excited and yet too tired to think clearly or really feel anything. As I stood in line to meet Mr. Hamill, I started to do this thing I always do. I try to frame a particular moment, often by looking back and reflecting on the series of memories that led to that current momentous moment. But I'm an idiot. I can't do that, especially now. Every time I do, I feel myself starting to well up, and I'm on too little sleep to, to really handle a situation like this. Honestly, celebration is an endurance challenge, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So instead, I focus on the cute woman dressed like Princess Leia who keeps walking by my line. Or the eight-foot-tall human lightsaber handle, where the top part of the handle flops as he walks. I realize how fortunate I am to be in the midst of all of this. 
surrounded by people as excited as I am to be here. And it's a wonderful, overwhelming feeling. Too overwhelming. I certainly can't deal with a thought like this at the moment and on no sleep. So I go back to watching Leo walk back and forth. Finally, it's my turn. I've woven my way through the tape-lined pathways on the floor, and I'm finally at the front. I try to be at my most ready, my most attentive, but I know the moment will be too quick for me. I am no longer sentimental, but excited and ready. I step through a makeshift tent room. I put my bag down with all the other bags of the people who have met him already or will meet him after me, and I wait for a woman to wave me into the next room. Mark is sitting in the middle of it, in what many have described as his Cosby sweater. It truly looks like it came straight out of the late 1970s, early 1980s, and actually it did. I find out later on that this sweater made an appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 1983, when Mark was promoting Return of the Jedi. Sitting in front of me is Mark. I walk over to him and I extend my hand. He speaks few words, and what comes out is in a rasp. He lost his voice the night before, after speaking at the panel. But he's friendly, and standing next to him, I approach him as if he is a family member I haven't seen in a long time. We shake hands. I introduce myself by saying, Hi, my name is Dave, and I ask if I can take a picture with him. As if the two of us are there for any other reason. He says sure, and he pulls me next to him, points at me, and he smiles. The flash goes off, and I can feel it. The moment is completely surreal, and I am trying to stay locked into the moment, but it is too large for me. From the moment I clicked purchase to pre-order my photo opportunity with Luke Skywalker, I was trying to figure out what to say to him. What do you say to a lifelong hero of yours? I knew the moment would last for under a minute. Realistically, it's probably as much of a blur for him as it is for us especially with the number of people that step up next to him, smile, and point as the camera flashes. And I know I would have just seconds of his time. I wasn't really looking for anything. I was just incredibly curious about what I would say to him if I had the chance. At some point, I figured it out. I wanted to say thank you and I love you and give him a hug. After all, he was family to me. And for me, it made total sense. So back to that moment... The flash goes off. I turn to him and I say, Mark, thank you for everything. Could I give you a hug? He says, sure, with all the warmth of a family member. He stands up and he he gives me a hug. As we're hugging, I tell him what my five-year-old self would have said to Luke Skywalker in the simplest terms. I love you. A lot of times in life, we miss out on the chance to tell the people who have affected us in wonderful ways how much we love them. And it really is the most special thing you could say to someone, because that's what we're called to do, to love each other. So I say to my hero, I love you. He grabs my hands, squeezes them, and says, I love you too. And that's it. I thank him for everything, and by everything, I meant the decades of excitement and hope, and being a role model, and a character to admire and to look up to. And this sentiment was echoed perfectly earlier that week by Dave Filoni, George Lucas's collaborator on the Clone Wars series and creator of the animated show Star Wars Rebels during the 40th anniversary Star Wars panel that opened Celebration. Here's what Filoni said. 
I got to say, it's been a real privilege for me uh, to be a part of this uh, in any small way that I have been, to be up here with you guys, uh, you know, because I grew up watching your films. And the only thing I always think is like, your films must have really worked because I really got the message that you were trying to tell. Um, I've grown up when you see these characters like Old Miss and you say, I shouldn't do that, you know, because Luke wouldn't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And that's the point of telling the story in the first place, is to give you that kernel of inspiration. Uh, and now uh, I do feel the responsibility to pass that on, especially once you taught me, Master, I will pass it on as best I can. <laughs> George Lucas has always talked about how he wanted his heroes to be models of goodness for children. People children could look to on how to meet the challenges they face along the journey to and through adulthood. And that's what Luke is. So as the photo op comes to an end, I say thank you to Mark, I shake his hand one more time, and am ushered out of the room. There are moments that serve as mile markers throughout our lives, and for me, this was one of them. I know I am one of probably tens of thousands of fans who over the years have stood next to and have been pointed at by Mark Hamill, and that is a wonderful thing. My experience probably wasn't much different than what a lot of others have experienced, and that says a lot about the character of Mr. Hamill. And this wasn't some crazy meeting with the celebrity either. It was a short but awesome moment, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. I would definitely recommend paying the money and going for it if you have the opportunity. So that was April of 2017. A pretty good ending to the story, right? Now that's what I thought too. But there's one more piece before the year ended. In the beginning of December of that same year, only a few months later, my friend and co-worker Aaron told me that Mark was going to be in Times Square at ABC Disney's Good Morning America, across the street from where we work. Mark would be promoting the latest Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, and there was a chance of meeting him as he walked into the studio, and maybe having something signed by him, too. So the day that Mark was to come to Good Morning America, I arrived at work, I grabbed the photo I took with Mark at Celebration, just in case and met up with Aaron about 8 o'clock that morning, and joined him behind the railings that were set up for the tens of Hamill fans that showed up. As soon as his car pulled up, he jumped out, gave a quick wave, and headed into the building. Aaron and I stayed where we were, hoping that he would spend a little more time with the fans on his way out after the interview. Mark didn't stay at Good Morning America long, but we were set up for a possible disappointment. You see, there were railings on either side of the building's door. When Mark came out, he would probably only have time to visit one of the sides, leaving those behind the railing on the other side with nothing to do but watch. And unfortunately, when the door finally opened and Mark came out, he went to the other side. So Aaron and I watched and joined in the chorus of trying to get his attention to get him to visit our side. He spent a long time against the other railing, signing various items, and took pictures with some fans. He turned around to walk to his car, and honestly, at that point, I was just happy to have seen him. But then he stopped walking to his car. He turned and headed back to us, arms opened, greeting us like we were friends he hadn't seen in years. He signed the photo of him and me, and it was a great way to end an amazing year of Luke Skywalker. The first half of the year was marked by that photograph at Celebration. The last half with the, with the autograph on that photo. And so far, that's been my life with Luke. 
I have a feeling there's more to come. I hope you enjoyed this first early bird episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I hope that this podcast will serve as a celebration of the characters, stories, toys, and prototypes spanning the more than 40 years since A New Hope premiered in theaters all around the world. The next episode, titled A Princess and a Purpose, will look at that moment that most of us, if not all of us, have experienced, when the toys became collectibles. (laughs) ¶¶